games are so much more than, well, games. They're complex, engaging, exciting artifacts that play a significant role in society, education, and beyond. That's why we founded Board Game Academics earlier this year. As a group of tabletop gamers and academic professionals, our mission is to combine research and gaming in novel ways that benefit academia and the tabletop industry. We're doing this by focusing on the historical, cultural, and systemic exploration of games as they relate to complex themes like race, gender, nationality, ability, sexuality, and class. To present and celebrate the work of the researchers who have submitted their papers to Board Game Academics, we are holding an inaugural conference on August 2nd. If you're attending Gen Con Trade Day, join us at 2 p.m. on August 2nd. If you're not, registration is now open for the virtual conference taking place on the same day. Register today and discover the exciting, creative, and thoughtful approaches to gaming that are encouraging meaningful discourse between researchers, teachers, and gamers. Use the discount code PODCAST on our website, boardgameacademics.com, when registering to receive the student rate. Again, that discount code is PODCAST, www.boardgameacademics.com. We look forward to seeing you there. Welcome to Board Games Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And this is episode 428. Why doesn't this IP have a game yet? we like to thank all our Patreon backers, but especially our new Patreon backer, Jill. Thanks so much, Jill. You rock. All right, friends, we are back. We have a brand new episode. And of course, as the geeks nerds that we are in this world... We got to talk about IPs, right? The things that we love to geek out on, get the details, go behind the scenes, and just all of the genres out there that's so much fun that after the last episode talking about some of those things, we were kind of shocked and surprised and wanted to bring you some of the top intellectual properties out there that don't really have substantial modern gaming attached to them. Right, buddy? Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. There's so many things out there. And like, the thing is, too, you're going to listen to this. And you're like, oh, there's a game for that. You're like, not really. It's not. <laughs> it's is it a real game that have significant thought that went into it. Um, like I talked a couple weeks ago about the Metal Gear Solid board game that's coming back. That was we thought was dead. And like all the different ways that that game like represents the theme and it's complex and has all these different ideas to it. That's what we mean. A game like that based on an IP. Is it going to be good? I don't know. But it looks <laughs> like a full game. It's not like a version of Flux or Uno yeah. or Legendary or whatever. It's not a pasted on theme. It's a game. It's a real game. So that's what we're talking about. Yeah. If you have a Monopoly version, if you have a Flux version, if you have a Munchkin version, there's if you have a game that's like came out in the 70s and it was just basically roll and move, does not count. Nope. Not at all. <laughs> So we want to talk about modern tabletop board gaming. Typically, a lot of people call it serious gaming. Just stuff <laughs> that you see on BGG, stuff that makes the list, stuff that gets to the table. And we have 10 amazing IPs that certainly deserve consideration. And if some publishers are listening, get these games out because it's yeah. ridiculous, ridiculous that it's not out there. Yeah, it's funny because... I remember back in the day, we had a friend who kept going on and on and on about like, there needs to be a Minecraft board game. Why is there not a Minecraft board <laughs> game? Someone at Microsoft heard them. There are now like 12 Minecraft board games. It's true. I own most of them. My kids love them. Yeah. And it's a perfect IP for it. The games are good. They represent the IP well. But it took a while. The game yeah. had been out for like 12, 15 years before they finally got around to making a board game. So we're doing our due diligence today. We're stepping up for these 10 IPs. Let's make it happen. 
Yeah, more important, I think we're going to talk about other modern board games, at least these systems and mechanics, that would work really great for those IPs. Because I think that's where a lot of these companies stumble. Yeah. Because a lot of them are like, hey, I got a great IP, but how do I make a modern board game? Like, what should I look at as far right. as that's concerned? Because there's a lot of bad ways to make bad games, very simply. Like, it's it's yeah. not very hard. So you got to look at the mechanics. You got to think about the thematic interplay. There's a lot of stuff. But we'll talk about that more. And speaking of which, Anthony, you know, if you're going to attach an IP to game mechanics... And that's going to be a thing, of course. <laughs> I don't know. Should we be talking about Lorcana? Oh my gosh, Lorcana. See, Lorcana, it, it's funny because you've been talking about this game since they announced it. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that's cute, a Disney thing. I'm, I like <laughs> Disney movies, but I've never been like the guy who's like obsessed with the Disney stuff. Um, and But, you know, I was on board with you. You're like, this is going to be huge. People are going to lose their minds. It's going to be a, just this incredible thing, this groundswell. It's going to change the industry. It turns out all that's true, but maybe not for the same reasons that you were thinking. So <laughs> we have a lawsuit um, filed by Upper Deck against Ravensburger saying that the design and rules of the game very closely resemble the Rush of Ecor TCG that they are releasing later this year. Um, so there is a designer and a you know, we're not lawyers or anything like this, so we're going to keep things broad in general so we don't get anything wrong. But the understanding here is from the complaint is there was a designer who worked on Rush of Ecor who then went to work with Ravensburger on Lorcana, and they're saying, you know what? They took our stuff, and they're using it. Yeah. Um, from rules, concepts, components, designs, marketing strategies, plans for implementation. If it's true, who boy, not good for Lorcana. Whether it's true or not, we don't know, because that's that's the whole point of you know a lawsuit is to determine if that's is true. Yeah, and they use a lot of very scary words and a lot of yeah. just big numbers because lawyers need to get paid. So yeah, that's what they do. <laughs> so you know, Disney Larkana, the lawsuit alleges that the studio quote this is quotes here, so this is based on what they're saying encouraged you know co-designer into pilfering quote another quote from their lawsuit the original trading card game design which is like wow yeah and i mean give credit to upper deck that they're going after disney like yeah indirectly but yeah still. Uh, i don't know man like they basically stole lion king <laughs> and like it's pretty straightforward and like the originator of, I don't know if it was White Lion or whatever it was, it was it had a specific name, right? Kitna or something? Kimba, Kimba the White Lion. Kimba, yeah. Like, they were like, yeah, they did. We can't do anything about it. They're Disney. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're, they're currently taking on the state of Florida and seem to be winning. So, yes. who knows? Yeah. So, yeah. Which, again, is interesting because historically, at least as, you know, the last 10 years of doing the podcast, give or take, the general concept have has been out there that mechanics are not you can't you can't trademark a mechanic yeah which i think it might still be true technically but there's so much more here in the complaint it's not yes. just the mechanic it's the rules it's the system by which the mechanics are utilized it's the design and marketing strategies like yeah. that is and those are trade secrets right i would imagine like that's yeah. what they're suing for you're taking our intellectual property and using it for your own system and I imagine, who knows, that this individual would have had a contract that stipulated they couldn't do that. Like, this is work for hire, so Upper Deck owns it. That's usually how that kind of stuff works. So, I don't know. It seems like a mess, if it's true. If it's not true, then it's just a big mess, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, Disney Larkana, the studio that's producing this, has said it's baseless, right? Of course, they're going to say that, and, and they might be right. Yeah. I have not seen the game. I have not read the lawsuit. It's up online. You could check it out. Again, it's really interesting, This the whole concept behind all of this. I wonder if this is going to push back or you know hinder at all their massive release. Because Gen Con was supposed to be a thing. Remember that? That was a, it's a huge, huge thing. Yeah, yeah. Like to the point that it's causing Gen Con headaches um, as, as Disney fans try to descend. Yeah. I I don't know. It's, it's one of three things happens. Either they go forward and it's a big hit and they win their lawsuit or they drag it out for years and it doesn't matter. They go forward, they lose the lawsuit 
And those of us who are able to pick up any amount of cards at Gen Con, those cards are worth a fortune. Or they push it back indefinitely until the lawsuit is figured out and maybe nobody ever sees Lorcana, right? Except the people yeah. who got to play at early conventions. I don't know. I don't know what would be best. Um, again, I don't think I had a huge vested interest in this. I probably would have sat down to play it, but I wasn't like super excited for it. But sure. I know a lot of people are. So I'm, I know many people right now who probably made their trips to Gen Con based on this game are like, yes. oh, come on, what is going on? Yeah, I mean, the the Disney adults out there are just, they're a huge, powerful population of people. Mm-hmm. And it does look, again, from what I've seen on pictures, that there actually is a game here. This is not just like some kind of, you know, cute artwork and like plus yeah. one or minus one kind of thing. Like there's mechanics here. So, yeah, the Disney stuff lately, like Sorcerer's Arena, USA Opoly did that. It was, it's really good. Yeah, it's, it's they're not just like the pasted on whatever is no? that used to get. Like Disney's yeah. like, no, we want good games representing our IP, and they're getting them. Yeah, Villainous was a Villainous. huge surprise. Great, yeah. huge surprise. So, um, a lot of great games from them, and big surprises to come. So, stay tuned, and let's see where this goes next. Yeah. All right. Well, that's what's going on in the industry. Anthony, there's a lot of stuff going on with us in the industry because we're movers and shakers and we're not producing possibly problematic TCGs. No, we can promise you this. We did not (laughs) or may not or could not, depending on how you word this legally, do anything to steal anybody else's IP for our games because we're not making games. We don't do that. Not yet. No. Uh, Come on. You don't want a, a collectible card game about Board Gamers Anonymous? If someone else is making it, I would love it. <laughs> well, I happen to know a guy out there that will give you his uh, whole <laughs> theme mechanics if you May just... or may not. He may or may not give us his whole mechanics. <laughs> we don't know if he would do that. Um, yeah, no, we, we make academic journals. That's what we do. So Ooh, that's our thing. You heard you the ad at the top. You're going to hear it for the next few weeks. Uh, the registration for Board Game Academics first journal presentation conference is up and live. If you're coming to Gen Con and you have a trade day pass, you can just join us in person. Unfortunately, you do need a trade day pass to do that. So if you are not working in higher education or in the industry, you're not able to join us at the convention in person. But because there are many of you listening who want to participate, we've created a virtual option where you can join us online. And we will be presenting uh, the same conference from Gen Con online, along with several other uh, presenters who were not able to join us in person, who are going to be sharing their research and their work um, virtually. So that is all up and ready. You can register. You can see, you know, who's going to be there, um, what our plans are, and all that good stuff. It's over on BoardGameAcademics.com right now. Absolutely. Again, if you come to Trade Day, register for the event there's limited seating for mm-hmm. the actual in-house presentation and then obviously follow the ads information for the online there's gonna be a lot of fun in the online we're gonna have a discord going along with that so you'll be able to talk to other people who are interested in board gaming and talk about the the presentations and the, the implications and that event's going to kind of get bigger as time goes on. So we'll be talking about it for the next couple of weeks and let you know about some upgrades and some details that goes along with it. And again, it supports the podcast. So uh, anything you could do to register or join us, we would love to have that conversation with you. We've been producing, we've been listening, we've been researching, we've brought so many great colleagues at the table, so many different voices that you've never heard before mm-hmm. in this one place all at once talking about your favorite games and what they could do out there in the world, not just in higher ed, anywhere, just a whole bunch of different things. We're talking escape rooms. We're talking role-playing games, tabletop game, board games, card games, everything. Yeah. And like a lot of different applications too. Like I, I write about things, you know, I talk about in specifically in the classroom, there are some presentations along those lines, but there's also presentations about games in society, games in mental health, games in just broad spectrum of uses, practically yeah. speaking. It's, it's really fascinating. It was a lot of, fun to review these and look at what people wanted to discuss and what research they were going to do. So uh, we're really excited to share that with you. Yeah. And again, a, a lot of stuff that people done research and when you read it, it kind of blows your mind that they think about games in this way. And, and 
what the games means for society. Just, just great stuff. And again, please um, share it with your friends, share it with people you think might be interested out there in the world. Um, that does a lot to kind of help us keep bringing more great games to the table and bringing great gamers to join us. All right. So that's everything that's happening with us out there. Anthony, we got a little bit of a question of the week for our friends out there. Yeah, so keeping with the IP theming, I asked everybody, who is the best original character in a Me. board game and why? Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. Sorry, man. <laughs> I thought I was the best original character. I got you so excited. I'm sorry. <laughs> Damn it. I was so I was going to tell my mom we were going to have a party, and I, I finally did it, and not, yeah. not anymore. No. I'm the best. I'm uh, the best character board gaming. Woo. <laughs> Buy my CCG card. It's worth millions of dollars. It's a one of a kind. Oh, man. Um, maybe someday, man. We're going to do it. Oh, but right now we're talking about existing games that have been made. And we want to know All the best right. character from those games. Uh, so we're going to start off on the Patreon. And uh, again, if you are a member of our Patreon, if you back us at any level, you can respond to the question there or in our Discord. Um, be entered into our weekly or bi-weekly contest to a chance to win a prize um often things like dice games accessories things that we have um specifically uh set aside as, as prizes for the contest so uh drew's first up he says sandra from kanban ev following you throughout the factory evaluating your knowledge and penalizing the incompetent she makes appearances <laughs> throughout listeria's games but only in kanban will you refer reference nice sandra and mean sandra Ooh, yeah I remember Sandra. That's a good one. Um, Ryan says, Sandra was my first thought and a good answer. So good on you, Drew. <laughs> nice. Um, also mentioned just in general, any game with a formal AI solo character. Yes. So the Automa and Wingspan, Gene and Maracaibo, Mr. Turchi and Mr. Lacerda in Kanban EV. Mm -hmm. um, they allow us to still play and enjoy games solo when we can't get a group together. And they add like a little character to it, right? So it's not just a bot. It's, a, it's an opponent. Um, Charlie says the Kalis King. Oh, right? yeah. Why? Why does he say the Kalis King? Because he is the total package, of course. Those eyes that read your soul like a dime store novel. He has a deep appreciation for architecture, and he is shrouded in mystery as he is nowhere to be found in the game. Also, he is loaded. It's true. So, thanks, it's true. Charlie. Yeah. Um, over on the Facebook page, uh, Larry mentions Sandra and Kanban as well. Uh, I think Sandra has uh, on a lot of people's minds. Um, we have Nathan mentioning the spirit Island spirits, but specifically shadows flicker like flame. Not the spirit, but the concept of what the spirit represents is great. Uh, he doesn't share that in the comments and I don't remember what that one does exactly, but a lot of those spirits have really good backstories. So it's, I'm sure it's a good one. If I remember, I think the mechanic is the spirit does not destroy but mm. instead of destroying, it, it produces fear. Oh, and it's, right. And it's one of the base spirits. It's really right. cool looking. It's it's like 80s villain, like black with like the red eyes. And I played that a couple of times. I like that idea because you scare them and it moves the stuff, which again is dangerous because, you know, the colonists are still active on the board somewhere, but it lets you kind of rush through the deck to kind of get mm. to, the, to the final events there. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's just I don't know. A lot of those spirit island spirits are really good. So yes. I, I would be a fan with any of those. Mm -hmm. Um a couple more answers here. We have a couple people mention Bob from Time Stories. So Yes, very good. That, that's a good one. Um Francesco says the thief in Catan, the assassin in Citadels, the Wainwright of Turn in Taxis, or the one tile in Azul. For me, it will always be one of the four. None of them has a name, and that says a lot about the characterization of the games I play. So, <laughs> uh, Francesco just outing himself as um, somebody who does not play a lot of highly thematic games, I guess. Uh, so, lots of good answers. Um, our winner this week of the contest, and we'll reach out, is Drew, because uh, Sandra is apparently everybody's favorite <laughs> character in any board game. Um that is a really good answer, though. I didn't know if I had an answer for this. And then as soon as that popped up, I'm like, oh, maybe that's my answer. Oh, it's four people's answer. It could be mine, too, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I, I, I always, again, there's so many great characters. And again, this could be a whole episode about like the great characters out there mm-hmm. above and beyond the one, especially with the artwork in the box has to be abyss. Oh yeah. That, that giant menacing bruiser boss, kind of Tony Soprano underwater yeah. kind of <laughs> face. Like it's just, the face is like too big for the box. And it's just, it's got those kind of like yellow sinister eyes without an expression to it. And all of the boxes This again, this is a really famous kind of box cover situation that there's multiple boxes. My favorite of them. I mean, that's the most iconic one because that was the main box is the green box. Again, big surprise green player, but it's this female merwoman with this horn and just like this aggressive kind of like sinister, like, She's coming for you, bro. That's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> I was lucky enough to randomly get it, and I was just like, that's the one I wanted. How did they know? But again, all the box covers are pretty fantastic, and they really just evoke the character so well. So, yeah, big fan. All right. So, again, if you want to join us on our Discord or on our Facebook or our Twitter, again, question of the week, question of the day. We want to hear from you. And, again, there's still time to hit us up. Let us know what you think. Again, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. There's so much content there. I'm telling you, it's the best website out there for all of the BGG content that you could possibly want at the table with BGA. So, Anthony, that's what's going on with our friends out there. Let's talk about the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All righty. Uh, so this one popped up in the Board Game Geek Hotness earlier this week and immediately caught my attention because of the wonderful Eno Tool artwork. It's a reason why they hire this guy. Uh, this is from Kinzen Key Games, and it's called Galactic Cruise. This mm. is a game in which you are working as part of a corporation that builds and launches shuttles to take people on space vacations. So think that, you know, 1950s space aesthetic, right? Everything is very retro uh, future. And you're working within this system to kind of build out the most efficient and effective space tourism company. Um, And I think it's smart that they went back in time with this because you could make this game set today, but I think space tourism today is something that we're all very cynical about because it's only for multimillionaires and billionaires. Um, It's a huge waste of resources. So (laughs) let's go back in time to when we could think about anybody could do this. It's like flying to Florida. No, you can just fly to Jupiter, right? So it's a... Game, it's, it's not out yet. It's not on Kickstarter yet. I think they said they're going to try to launch it towards the end of the year, beginning of next year. But they are bringing the game to Origins and Gen Con um, for previews and, and testing. And I think I might have to track it down because it looks really interesting. It's like an industrial manufacturing type game with a science fiction um, spin on it. Uh, it's worker placement. You're sending workers out to do various actions. But you also have a few different options there in terms of you either can grow your network you can launch shuttles and send workers out into space as pilots. You can recall workers that you've sent to Earth to collect different bonuses. You get different blueprints. You build shuttles. You attract guests. It almost feels like it's a weird comparison. And it's probably just based on the description, but like a Dennis or Island type of thing where you're like, you're running this attraction. So you have to build stuff and it needs to be safe. But then you also need to get people to show up, right? And to build your engine and get it moving. Um, super excited by this like i hadn't heard anything about it hadn't seen it bandied about at all so uh, i look forward to seeing the early copies of it um at the convention this summer uh gen con where we will be in august and uh i will keep my eye out for it when it launches on kickstarter later this year so that's a galactic cruise yeah everything you and all tool does is just it's a good it's good to follow him yeah (laughs) his artwork is fantastic it's just very evocative of the theme it's the graphic design is usually very clean and simple and just makes a lot of sense and again he doesn't attach himself to at least historically to bad games so it's another way to track like what good games are coming up so love it love it love it love it all the good stuff there um looking forward to play it again in a better world my friend in a better world not this world but in (laughs) in a better world there's a lot of that stuff out there yeah all right, I want to talk about a game that's actually up on Game GameFound. This will be 
uh, the Patreon-backed episode where I talk about the hottest 12 games on crowdfunding. And one of the ones I want to talk about this week is Witchcraft with an exclamation point because uh, this designer and his games are all have exclamation points. And you have to know that because otherwise you will not find it. <laughs> so <laughs> Witchcraft, exclamation point, uh, by Salt and Pepper Games. And this is, I guess, a wondrous reimagining of Resist with another exclamation point, which was about resistance. And Witchcraft, exclamation point, and Resistant, exclamation point, <laughs> are both solo games. And again, Witchcraft, exclamation point, um, You'll do. You'll have. You'll be leading a coven of witches, and they're hiding out and utilizing real magic, and fighting real monsters throughout the game. So, um, this is again, it's a really interesting concept for a game. I am not the solo guy whatsoever. That's a hundred percent Anthony, but there are certainly certain certain you know with an exclamation point <laughs> solo games out there that really do draw my attention. So I like the idea of making difficult decisions as far as when you play your cards in both games it's very much like do i need to burn this card to utilize it do i need to you know discard it for its powerful effect but then i have it's one and done so am i utilizing that powerful powerful effect on that card you know revealing it because i absolutely need to but now i'm not getting the ongoing bonus that might benefit me throughout so um, you're playing your witches out there. You're choosing the missions to kind of battle with. You play your remaining witch cards, resolving the missions to see if you meet the conditions that they need to. And then, of course, you're dealing with witch trials and you're trying to survive as a covenant and obviously dealing with all the baddies that happen without. So I like this general concept for gaming. And again, this new version of Witchcraft, exclamation point, um, is all about... Um, trying to deal with the jurors, the ones that are dealing with the witch trials here. So you're trying to persuade them that not a bad witch or not a bad person and just trying to keep it down and keep it safe. So a little bit different here, um, different theme. Either one works. I have not played either yet. I'm hoping to play resist exclamation point at some point soon. Uh, but I might actually possibly back this one because there's not a lot of cool looking, you know, Halloween-esque type of games out here and this looks pretty neat so it's up on game found it's already surpassed its backing uh you have about 23 days at this point of recording to back it that's witchcraft exclamation point or resist exclamation point uh that one is already out in stores it's it's a it's a cool art style i i've had my eyes on resist for a while because i like what? Solo sorry games. what what game yes. Resist exclamation point. Thank you. Thank you. I'm yes, sorry, man. Sorry, gotta, sorry. I didn't know which game you were talking about. It's it's late. I forgot what <laughs> game I was talking about. Uh, I've had my eyes on that one for a while because it's solo only, which doesn't always mean it's good, but it means at least that solo mode is it's designed for that, right? Yes. Um and I, I like the theming of it. Um this one looks like it's slightly more refined. And yes. I don't know. I'll keep my eyes on it. And it's really cheap, right? It's like twenty two dollars. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. And again, like I, 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 you got it. The problem I've always had with the solo games. And again, not to get off on a tangent is just the score. The end game scoring is so bland and generic and like, you got 12 points. Congrats. I'm like, really? But this one seems to be more um, thematic mm-hmm. and more thought out than than most kind of solo games i don't want to score a certain number and know i did a thing or didn't do a thing this actually has real gameplay implications for the final score so i'm really happy about that and again uh it may be resist exclamation point that i might go with but i'm not sure we'll, we'll i'm gonna take a look at both of them but i'm definitely getting one of them if not both of them we'll see cool so two exclamation points up for me Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? 
Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> All right, so that's the games that we want to hit the table. Anthony, let's talk about the games we did hit the table. Let's talk about our at the table. So we'll let you know if those games are by and they should run out and buy them, exclamation point. If you should sit down and them, play them. If you should dodge them. Or if games are, in fact, the dreaded burn, then just burn them because Disney's going to burn them anyway. So, I don't know. It is what it is. That's what Disney does. Yep. So, what have you got at the table this week, Anthony? Burn it down. Uh, so, <laughs> the game that I got to the table this week is called Revive. Uh, I talked about this at the beginning of the year. I talked about this at the Essen preview. Um, this is the new game from many of the team behind Santa Maria and The Magnificent. Mm-hmm. Um, Santa Maria is a great game that has some issues thematically so it's a game mm-hmm. i no longer play um the magnificent is a fantastic game that's severely overlooked they just didn't mm-hmm. get it came out in the summer of 2020 nobody picked it up it didn't get played they clearanced it out recently if you find a copy highly recommend getting it mm-hmm. um, revive is the next game in that set from Aporta. uh so in this game you are five thousand years in the future you are trying to revive civilization right that's about as much of the theme as you need to know, because the rest of the game is fairly abstract. doesn't really matter. I mean, I guess it matters if, if you're the type of person who really pays attention to that stuff. But you could play the game and just none of that would sink in. It doesn't. There's no flavor text. There's no characters. None of it really matters, which is fine. A lot of Euro games are like that. But if you care, that's something to know. Um, so you have your own personal player board, and it has this network of different things that you can kind of unlock um there are three different markers you're going to move that correspond to three different types of resources um i'll just say gray green and yellow but they do correspond to various different things um and when you receive certain actions you will move those around as they reach certain numbers on the track you will unlock things some of those unlocks require you to get two different pieces to that location first that's about all you need to know about the track, right? Those bonuses are good. They unlock free actions that you can take um, with little lightning bolt icons. It's, it's pretty straightforward. Your resources are on tracks as well. So you have a maximum amount you can have of each of them. There are three primary resources and then like a wild resource of little crystals. Um, so you keeps you from like stockpiling resources, which I think is good. I like games that do that. But it also sometimes becomes like a push and pull between like, I got all the resources I need. Now let me go take this big action, and now I have no resources again. So let's start that over again, right? And so, you know, it is what it is. Um, the actual gameplay, though, uh, on your turn, you will start the game with some cards, and you'll put three of them out in front of you, and these cards represent different actions you can take. Uh, you can play a card on your turn, putting it into a slot either at the top or bottom of your board, and the cards all have icons either at the top or bottom of the card, and you'll take those associated actions. You can explore and expand the map. And the map starts with a whole bunch of tiles face down. And each tile has a cost on it to explore it. You also have to pay the cost of traversal over existing tiles from where you are. So you're going to put little people out. You're going to put buildings out. And the distance from those things to where you're going is what you're going to pay. Um, you can populate, which is taking one of your little meeples from your other personal player board, because you have two and placing it out on the map. Or you can build a factory, 
which is taking from your second player board again and building it somewhere on the map, um, usually on the sand. I think only on the sand. So those four actions are available to you. You can take any two of them on your turn. You also have the option of hibernating on your turn in which you will circulate your cards. So any cards you've already played go into a like a discard pile type of thing. Your discard pile comes into play face up in front of you, like available actions to take. Um, you clear out everything else in front of you and then you kind of move forward. There is a track you move up every time you hibernate that gives you some bonuses as well. Um, and that's basically it. On your turn, you're going to be kind of, you're cycling through your deck, most of your playing cards and doing things. And then once you build up enough resources, you will explore, populate, and build. Um, the thing about the game is, and this gets better with more plays because you start to learn the combos and be more efficient with it. But early plays, you really are just like, let me get a bunch of resources. Let me go do some actions. Let me get a bunch of resources. Let me go do a bunch of actions. Um, as you get to know the game a little bit better and know where those bonuses come in, you can start, you know, chaining things together, right? There's a thing that lets you kind of upgrade your card slots so that if you play a card with a matching suit, because they all have a suit to them, to one of the upgrades, you get bonus stuff. So you can make your, again, making actions more efficient. I love games where you make actions more efficient. I think they're interesting and they reward people who are paying attention and building their engine in a smart way. So. I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily, but it does rely somewhat on what's available in the tableau for getting those upgrade tiles, for getting the new cards that you add to your deck, because you will add new cards to your deck. Um, it relies a little bit on where you are pushed into on the map, where you want to populate and build. At the beginning, you can go anywhere you want, but later on, you're going to probably be pushed in a certain direction. And maybe things are more expensive over there, or maybe... When you flip those tiles, you don't find any cities that you can populate. So you need to like travel back across the map to the other ones that other people have unlocked. And that's kind of frustrating. So there's a little bit of luck element here. It's not huge, but it's enough that if you had gone the wrong direction, it can be a little frustrating getting back to where you need to be. I don't know that it even necessarily makes the game harder to win. I just think it's frustrating. So it's not like a balanced thing. I don't think it makes the game worse. It just created frustration for me in my plays um it's a good game though like the the core mechanics here like i know i said a few things that are i didn't like but overall the core mechanics work together smoothly right you are playing a card that lets you take a certain amount of resources or action on the board those resources immediately go into your pool and often trigger other bonuses allowing you to move up on these tracks that trigger other bonuses and actions that are available to you and then let you explore the board further right and the more you do it, the more you can see the interconnectedness and it kind of flows together. But there just are a few of those things that felt a little wonky to me. Um, thematically, this could have been anything. I'm glad they did what they did because this is a team that chose the theme of Santa Maria at some point, which is not great. So doing something interesting and future style, like post-apocalyptic, but in a tech kind of way, like, almost like Horizon Zero Dawn-ish. That's cool. I think that's a really cool decision. Um, but it's it doesn't really rise above a play for me. I was very excited about this. It sounded really cool. I love their other two games. Both of those are buys, or Santa Maria was. This is not quite to that level. Despite what I'd heard and despite the pedigree, it's just not quite there. Now, the one thing I will say is that it comes with a five-part campaign, you know, Alexander Fister style. I did not play through that. So I don't know what that looks like playing it myself. Um, I will also say the asymmetrical powers are interesting. They're not game breaking, which is when asymmetrical powers are really fun, but they're there and you can make interesting decisions with them. So I'm glad it has that as well. It's got all the pieces that are good. They just didn't quite come together for me personally in a way that was engaging as much as some of the other designs that I've played um, from the people working on this. So revive is a play, uh, a medium high play, like not a not a bad game by any means of worth checking out, maybe not worth running out and buying. But if you see a copy at the table, definitely give it a go. Um, but yeah, it's it's mildly just a smidge disappointing from what from what I had heard coming out of Essen. I think the hype was I hate saying hype was high because we all say that too much. But <laughs> it, it's like the, my hype was too high. I was a little too excited for what this ended up being. So sure. that's revive. Yeah, I 
I have not played the game, so I can't speak to the gameplay, but this game has been on my radar for quite some time, and they did generally a good a good job of getting this game out for early review and early preview. And like you said, the the artwork here was beautiful. The graphic design here was fantastic. The setup, uh, the story here. And then as people talked about the game and as I read through the game, despite the beautiful artwork and the graphic design and the pieces and everything set up, it just it just boiled down to honestly, I don't I don't want to say soulless kind of abstract game, but like yeah, the everything else about this game is just next level. Like it's just if you take the production, the artwork, the graphic design, the concept of this, just next level stuff, and then the gameplay is just like just moving things around. And again, look, yeah, I'm yep. a Euro gamer. I I enjoy I enjoy moving cubes on a board like that does not dissuade me from ever playing a game and yet the way everyone talked about this game and what I could read about this game the gameplay was just it was just a hundred percent disjointed from everything else this this is and I think typically for a lot of games, like I love artwork. I just love artwork of games. I will buy a game for great artwork and just put it on the shelf and just enjoy it just for the, that sake. But when you're investing that kind of time, thematic gameplay is essential. And it just seems like we have theme, but not the thematic gameplay level. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to say it. Yeah, it's the ideas are all there. Everything, yeah. The mechanics, it just feels like mechanics. Right, yeah. it feels like you're doing game things. It doesn't feel like you're in this world. It doesn't feel like you're rebuilding civilization. Nope. Like, I read this stuff at the beginning. I was like, okay, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And then I played it, and then I was done. I'm like, I didn't feel like I was doing that. Even the map, when you're moving around and unlocking different things, it doesn't feel like you're exploring. You don't yeah. have an avatar on the map that's building out. And that's there's a lot of games like that, but increasingly we get these games that were they spend a lot of time on the trappings and they spend a lot of time building a good production. But the base thing, the thing that started the game is going to be what it is, right? So if the mechanics are not thematic or if it's just a bunch of stuff in a box, Mm -hmm. that's what it's going to feel like. And that's what the game feels like. And that's not Mm. bad. There's a lot of games that are a bunch of stuff in a box that I like, but increasingly because there are so many games in the world and maybe this is just like because we review games that it's so it's hard to have that yeah. perspective it's hard to play a game like that where you just feel like you're moving pieces based on the like if, if the rules are the map that i'm working with it's hard sure. to feel like you're in there you don't lose yourself in the game you don't feel like you're doing it you know when i play a rosenberg game i feel like i'm farming to some yeah. degree yeah. yeah play a lacerda i feel like i'm on mars to some degree this game, I just felt like I was moving bits around. So, yeah, it's it's a shame. All right, so that's everything that hit our table this week. Now on to our feature review. So our feature review this week is why does this IP intellectual property have a game yet? So Anthony, you and I came up with ten great IPs that are amazingly, soaringly just painfully missing actual modern board gaming with it. Uh, Was any of this a surprise to you? Did you think like maybe they would have something decent out there in the world? I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Like I think there was a couple here that I was like, really there's nothing. If only because these are some of these things are all the IP gets used everywhere. There's other elements where like, a couple of the ones I'll talk about, the IPs don't get used on anything. So I'm like, I'm not surprised necessarily. Yeah. I just wish it was different, you know? Certainly. And again, these this is not a comprehensive list. There's a lot of great stuff out there too that certainly needs to let us know. And again, if you haven't already hit us up on any of our questions a week, please do so. We would love to hear it. It'll help us build for the next episode. So Anthony, why don't you start us off with one on your list? Yes, I'm going to start with the one I've been playing, the IP I've been playing um, the most lately, and that's The Legend of Zelda. Uh, It's one of my all-time favorite games. Uh, My number one game of all time is still Ocarina of Time. I played this for two months straight 
uh, around Christmas when I was a freshman in high school. And I go back to the game every year or two and I play through it. I love, love, love this game. Um, right now I'm playing Tears of the Kingdom. It's also brilliant. And I would love a board game based on Legends of Zelda to the point where I backed Tiny Epic Quest or whatever it was. Yeah. Because it, because it looked like a ripoff of Zelda. The game was not good at all. But I was like, oh, I really want a Zelda game. And they knew that. They knew people would back it because of that. <laughs> they got you. They got me. Um, so what does a game based on Legend of Zelda actually look like? I don't want a bunch of minis running around the map, right? It's an action-adventure RPG-ish. And I, I just I feel like what we would end up getting is just moving dudes around and rolling dice and um, flipping things over, which yeah. there's so many of those. I don't want that. So give me a game that's like Unlock or Exit where you're solving puzzles and you're working through like escape room style, like a dungeon, but with minis on a map, right? So you could have Link running around a dungeon and then you're solving these puzzles represented by these cards that you flip over in an unlock deck or all the bits that come in an exit uh, box. And it doesn't even have to be like a one-time thing, but there should be solutions that you have to figure out and they should be complicated because that's the fun of these games. As you go in, you solve the puzzle, you feel smart, you use the new tools that they give you. Um, I would love that, especially if you could get like a campaign with like six of those and you, you run through them all. Uh, so that would be my ideal Legend of Zelda game. Excellent. All right. Well, I'm going to start off with a classic. And again, if you're not you know, involved, if you have not seen any of these, you absolutely should. This is the Twilight Zone. Now, obviously, there is a lot of other good stuff content that just came from the Twilight Zone. So Black Mirror, Tales from the Crypt, there's just endless numbers of anthologies that are out there. But the Twilight Zone, Rod Serling's Twilight Zone, is just utter genius. And his ability to entertain, provide messages, social commentary, and just give you the most Night Shyamalan kind of twists is just unbelievable. I mean, it's just, it's murderer's row of great story after great story. It's in black and white, and I'm sure on some level that's dissuaded some of the younger generations to kind of pick this up. Um, I, I remember going back as a kid, this used to be like, they used to have a marathon, I think on the 4th of July, Twilight Zone episodes. And this is, you know, not my generation, Twilight Zone, but the man himself was a genius. The production here, the stories here, this is where it all gets started. And there's just, it's just so very good. And it's shocking considering the greatness of all these short stories that there actually never was a meaningful board game. There was some sort of, you know, roll and move and yada, yada, stuff like that. But what I would propose based on what's out there in the industry is kind of a slam dunk time stories, right? Time stories came out there and it just kind of blew everybody away. And it had some really good modules, some really good expansion stories, right? And Time Stories is one of those kind of disposable kind of legacy games where you play out the story and once you're done, you know you know all the tricks and everything that goes along with it, and then you pick up a new one. So it could be a fantasy, it could be a detective story, it could be any kind of story. Over the years and with the expansions, Time Stories has just dropped off the map because there hasn't been good expansion stories for time stories. The Twilight Zone has some of the best of all time. And being that a lot of young people in the industry who are playing board games now are not really familiar with all of these, I think it's really the perfect opportunity to bring it back and, you know, maybe even make the game components in the pictures, actually do everything black and white. I think it'd be great. And again, some of my favorite stories of all time um, are for the Twilight Zone. So uh, certainly check out the IP. But again, this would be an amazing game system. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that'd be so perfect. All right. So the next one for me is the Tarantino verse. Or... Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we have a whole bunch of movies made by Quentin Tarantino. And aside from some really just kitschy cash-ins uh, of various things, none of them has really been turned into a board game. Now, you might be saying, well, yeah, they're not really board game type of IPs, but but these are movies that are built on Quentin Tarantino's vast, incalculable 
exhaustive knowledge of pop culture from a very particular time of mid 1960s to early 1980s. Um, and so I would love to see a game that finds a way to gamify that. Right. So maybe like thinking like a just one, but with pop culture references nice. or a game in which you have to find the threads between these movies, because apparently these all take place in the same universe somehow. Uh, I don't know how that works, but Pulp Fiction is the same universe as um, Inglorious Bastards, and Kill Bill is a movie within that universe, as, as has been confirmed by Mr. Tarantino. So let's find the connections. I want a game that's all about finding those connections. Because a, f- a heavy Euro game based on any of these IPs, I don't know how interesting that would be, honestly. Um, they tend to be sporadic, they tend to be choppy. Films he presents things out of order. Um, the game might give people headaches, but a, a party game, those are inherently out of order. They're inherently choppy. That's what they are. So let's let's make a game out of that. Very very nice. Like it. All right. Staying in the black and white genre, mostly is another another heavily overlooked IP. Uh, this is Mighty Python, and in particular, Mighty Python's Flying Circus, which was again their their TV show with a lot of really famous skits that had a lot of just iconic imagery and lines long, long, long before memes and everything else were like the mainstay. So for example, no one expects the Spanish inquisition, right? We all know that even if you don't know the show or saw the episode and I would love to see, and they have not had like, again, don't give me a flux. Recently, they did have a, I guess, more like a gift set than a real RPG, because we talked about this on the podcast, and I thought about backing, they had a Mighty Python and the Holy Grail RPG, but mostly it was like, it's a gift, it's a toy, right? It's not like a legitimate system. I want a legitimate system about the absurdity of British comedy at its best. So I want a Magic the Gathering CCG. They're doing it for Lord of the Rings, what better to start like multiple waves of all their famous content and movies. So do a mighty Python, the Holy grail right after you did Lord of the Rings and just like have some, you know, make fun of yourself a little bit, have the million dollar, you know, Holy grail card. That's just clearly not a Holy grail card. Right. (laughs) Um, Again, you have coconuts, you have a lot of fun stories, but then there's a lot of other content that goes along with this. There's life of Brian there's the meaning of life. There's just a lot of great stuff out here that has not been tapped. And there's a lot of British comedy stuff. Again, we could go into the Hitchhiker's Guide and just a whole bunch of other stuff. But Mighty Python is deep. It's rich. And it would be perfect for a really great CCG. So fun. That'd be so fun. Uh, all right. So I'm going to go old school here, too, uh, and talk about one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, Seven Samurai from Akira Kurosawa. Ooh. is it's it's a it's a foundational movie that has been borrowed from yes. remade reworked dozens of times there are elements of kurosawa at star wars yes. um Sergei leone most of his movies were based on kurosawa movies <laughs> <laughs> uh so like the whole western genre i think was revamped spaghetti westerns in particular really drew yep. on kurosawa's work so seven samurai has been since i first saw it as a senior in high school, I've loved this movie. Despite it being almost four hours long, I try to rewatch it once a year. Um, and so I, I would love to see a, a game like based on this, similar to like Ghost Stories, right? With that tower defense type of gameplay, we have things coming at you from different directions. And it's cooperative, of course, because you're working together as the Seven Samurai. Um, but with heavy asymmetry, like each of these characters has to be very different, right? That's the whole point, right? All seven of these samurai are unique individuals who come with their own baggage, their own interests. They're all there for very different reasons. That what make That's what makes that movie so good. Um, and so give me something like Ghost Stories or Last Bastion, but with that theme of in being in feudal Japan and trying to protect this village from the bandits, um, I would play the heck out of that. So uh, Seven Samurai would be amazing. Absolutely. Could not agree more. And again, it would be great for this to be a board game series because as you said, it has not gotten the attention just been, it's just been appreciated and utilized in so many other ways, but 
the name and the, the original films have not carried over. Yeah, I could honestly what I would see happening is they make a Magnificent Seven movie and I would Ooh. throw something at the wall. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> do the original. I don't want the Cowboys. <laughs> you were this close. You didn't do a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Anthony, uh, this is kind of, a, again, I, I don't know why. I'm, I'm, I'm still in the British mode here. Talking <laughs> about Mighty Python. I got to talk Bond. James Bond. Yes. And again, I don't know why there is not, a, you know, just a truckload of James Bond games out there. Ian Fleming's just masterpiece of the secret agent. And again, all the different movie iterations, right? All different types of bonds for different generations. I guess Sean Connery being the most famous, but again, there's just so many different versions of James Bond. I would love to see a James Bond game as a legacy game because you watch the James Bond movies and they play out all these different scenarios, these different baddies, these people that are helping you along. You figure out what the bad people are up to. You try to break it down, stop it. So I'm looking for a legacy, but I'm looking for a one and done more or less. And I want to have some action and I want to kick some butt throughout the whole way. So I'm probably going to look at Gloomhaven, but Jaws of the Lion. I think that mm. kind of book series is short enough. It fits everything into one. That could be one of the many movies that you might want to, you know, be able to play. So it could be the modern day Casino Royale, or it could be just something from like far back as like Tomorrow Never Dies. So each of those different movies could actually be a different version, just like they do with Jaws of the Lion. And again, Bond, James Bond. I mean, it's it's just it's still it's still huge. So yeah, some Bond, man. Yeah, Bond would be great. There's so much you could do with that. Uh, my next one is The Matrix. So The Matrix is, you know, we have four movies now. Uh, if and if you go back to the early 2000s, you have a whole bunch of stuff based on this IP. The Animatrix, one of the best spinoff things ever made to mm -hmm. expand the. The, the mythos of a, a world um enter the matrix fantastic game video game and then it kind of died you know and we can partially blame the, the sequels not living up to the original film for everything dying but it's still iconic like the matrix is a film that defines a generation both in terms of pop culture but also just in terms of filmmaking like sure. all the things that they did yeah um, i would love to see a game based not necessarily on Neo being this all-powerful god, <laughs> but before they become the all-powerful god in that series, I would love to see a game like Spectre Ops style, like timer. They have a limited amount of time. They got to get their mission done and they got to get out, right? You go into the matrix and then the agents are coming to get you and you got to get out of there. So like a hidden movement style game in which you're trying to accomplish a certain number of objectives and then get out before they catch you. And if they do catch you, it's like, extremely difficult to win not impossible because that wouldn't be fun but very difficult highly unlikely so something kind of based on that first hour and 45 minutes of the matrix before neo goes full neo um i think would be really cool they would never do it because <laughs> that's not what people remember the matrix for but that's my favorite part of that whole ip is the first 80 percent of that first movie yeah so, i mean I like the end. Everybody likes the ending, but that first part, the buildup is so good. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's influenced so much. I mean, obviously Keanu Reeves just blew up after that and it's pretty much John wick, right? John wick is the new matrix. Yeah. Kind of John, John wick is Neo's entered the matrix. Let's get pre John wick. I want to see John wick training, right? There you go. Let's get back into the matrix there. I love it. All right, well, I guess somewhat similar to that is let's go old school, let's go fantasy, but in particular, let's go Final Fantasy. So in particular, I, I guess for all of us out there, Final Fantasy VII, I mean, that's probably for me the best story that's out there in the Final Fantasy series. If you ever played the <laughs> video games, uh, it is a role-playing video game. It's It really kind of brings out that just the wonderful storytelling here and square Enix has always done a great job. There's so many different final fantasies and on all different types of platforms. So at some point you tripped over it, you played it, you loved it. 
why is there not any kind of board games about it? I think there will be in the near future, but until then, what I'd really recommend, and this is maybe a little bit outside the mainstream because I think, you know, there's a lot of like, how do you say, turn-based strategy games. I really like to be able to see more of the fast-paced co-op play that you find in Final Fantasy. And the system that I would use or the game system that I'd recommend is Nemesis. So we're talking great miniatures. We're talking terrific storytelling, fantastic kind of co-op play, and really gets down to the danger that's that's going on. So I think that kind of setting works well because Nemesis really plays into that cinematic moments. And really when I think about Final Fantasy, I think about that cinematic gameplay. Like it was that really that first series that took video gaming and made it feel like cinema way back when. And I think Nemesis's gameplay does that as well. So, yeah. Oh my gosh, I would love this. So I mentioned Ocarina of Time is my number one game. Final Fantasy VII is my number two. So. Yeah, go. <laughs> I love it. Um, that no everybody was arguing over which one was better, like yeah. in middle school. And I'm like, they're both great. I love them both. <laughs> I want to play them both. Um, a video game or a board game based on that would be incredible. Uh, so for me, my fifth one, my final one for this episode is Studio Ghibli movies. Uh-huh. Uh, these are among the best animated films ever made. Period. Right. I don't care what you say about Disney. Miyazaki is a genius. Um, and I could run down a list of all the different movies and why they're amazing. Right. It's like originally I put on this list, Spirited Away. And then Chris, you were just like, what about just Ghibli in general? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally any of them. I'll take any of them. They're great. Um, they're amazing. Yes. So good. I'm trying to get my kids involved and they're just like, but part of it's like, uh, the English dubs aren't always great, but they're not going to no. read the subtitles. So I don't know. It is a, like you said, not to interrupt it, just really, it is a genre in of itself, right? Like he modeled a lot of his animation style on Russian uh, animation yeah. films. And it's very different, but it's very, it, it, all the movies feel very personal. I don't know how he does it. It just feels, yeah. it feels real. It feels like when you watch the movies, you feel like you're feeling it on the inside. Like you're not experiencing it, like seeing it and hearing it, you're feeling it. Yeah. No, it's it's really hard to describe. You're right. It's I would love a game that somehow captures that. I yeah. don't know how you build one that captures that. And I don't even know that the mechanics really matter that much, right? You just want to capture the feeling of being yes. inside one of those movies. So for me, I picked Flamecraft as a game that gives you a feeling, right? It's a cozy feeling. It's cute. It, you're, it's a lived-in world. And that's one of the reasons people really gravitated to this game is it's not particularly heavy. It's accessible. Kids can play it. I think that's important if you're doing something based on Ghibli. And it just feels like a lived-in world that's whimsical, but at the same time serious in a way that a lot of like kids' animation isn't always, right? Um, and honestly, it would depend on which one you want to adapt, right? If you're making a Spirited Away game, it's going to be very different than like a Howl's Moving Castle game, right? <laughs> Mechanically speaking. But I want that theme. I want that feeling, right? I don't want it to be like slapped on mechanics and, hey, we put the artwork on it. It's like, no, no, no. I want to feel everything I'm doing. Mechanically, it needs to make sense in the context of the world so that I can feel like I'm in that world. Um, this is probably the most difficult of the five that I brought in terms of translating. <laughs> But if someone could figure it out, and if Ghibli would give them the license, I would be first one in line to buy that game. Absolutely. All right. Well, my final one is, I guess, a departure from Anthony's here. One of the best series, TV series, prestige television series of all time is Breaking Bad. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, again, Brian Cranston recently came out and said he's retiring from acting. He's moving to France, spending time with his family. And the whole world kind of shuddered because we're never going to see any more Breaking Bad. I mean, um, Better Call Saul's out there and and there's other kind of stuff out there. But again, Breaking Bad is such an iconic series. And the idea of Walter White and Jesse Pickman kind of going into this dark underworld of selling meth and trying to build up the systems and the areas that they need in order to produce so I'm looking for something that has a board in which I can build up 
that's a very big part of the show. How you manage all of that is essential, but also you need to have gunplay, right? So where am I getting a Euro game that has that kind of like creation and management of resources and buildings on the board because you got to produce and yet at the same time, the backstabbing, well, it's going to be Carson city. (laughs) So, um, it's the game that allows you to place your workers, your people out there in order to build up the systems, the housing, the structures that you need in order to produce. And yet at the same time, there's always a threat that other factions can take over your production. So Carson City works perfect because you're building up and then somebody wants to take you out for a shootout. This is great rolling dice to kind of attack each other. And then obviously the integration of Carson City's kind of like special characters that you can utilize from round to round. That happens a lot in the show. Very iconic characters throughout. You have your sheriff, you have your lawman in play. So yeah, I'm Breaking Bad uh, with Carson City then. That's a good one. Yeah. I love that you went like, saved it up. You're like, uh, okay, you're doing Ghibli. I'm going to follow that with Breaking Bad. Literally the polar opposite. <laughs> Absolutely. Equally good. Equally good, but thematically just could not be further away (laughs) well to be fair you had tarantino and ghibli in your same list but i separated them a little bit right (laughs) there you go all right well there you go we have hopefully a fantastic opportunity for you to engage with these great ips and hopefully a lot of producers out there are listening so that we can get more of these great games to the table that have not gotten to Man, there's some great games coming in the future, we hope. Fingers crossed. Until next time, this is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care, everyone. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.